No fear. No political correctness. No wokeism. You're listening to Underground USA. Thanks for downloading and listening. My name is Frank Salvato. Before we get to Monday's segment of America's Third Watch, I wanted to make a few comments about Joe Biden's disgraceful Valley Forge speech. To put it bluntly, there was so much disingenuousness in that speech, so much politically driven propaganda, that I was half expecting Washington's ghost to appear to slap the man. As I've stated many times, and as I am starting to hear emerging into the conservative mainstream, there is no adjudication of insurrection anywhere against Donald Trump regarding the events of January 6th. In fact, not one January 6th political prisoner has even been charged with insurrection. Therefore, the 14th Amendment, Section 3, doesn't apply, no matter what Adam Schiff says. Additionally, and this addresses the degree of outright deceit to which the neo-fascists who puppeteer the Biden administration will sink. Trump already served four years, and none of the fear porn being shouted by Democrats ever came close to happening. One would think that if Donald Trump was a danger to democracy, he would have planted the seeds the first time around. He didn't. During the entirety of his tenure as president, Trump had fidelity to the U.S. Constitution and succeeded in protecting the citizenry by holding the Bill of Rights as sacrosanct. The Biden administration's fear porn about Trump being Hitler and that he will somehow hijack the nation to totalitarian despotism is so over the top that only the most intellectually stunted among the Democrat faithful can honestly believe the allegations. But the most egregious error, and this is something that the ideological left has been purposely hawking ever since the Wilsonian Marxists arrived on the scene, is his insistence that our nation is a democracy. I'm inserting the foreword of my monograph, The United States of America is Not a Democracy, underneath, along with a downloadable PDF. Premium members already have access to all my monographs and books on the bookshelf page. The word democracy does not appear in the Declaration of Independence or the United States Constitution, and for good reason. The United States is not a democracy. It is a constitutional republic, and it is essential that the American people understand this reality. If we continue to allow the untruth that the United States is a democracy to flourish, we invite the demise of our government and our nation. We invite the cessation of the American experiment, and doom future generations to a fate unknown. Over the course of our day-to-day activities, we enjoy freedoms and liberties that have been established by our founding documents, the Charters of Freedom. These documents established a constitutional republic, a nation ruled by a government based on the rule of law, laws enacted by governmental representatives elected by the public. But as we exist today, many among us, including many of the more popular pundits, political activists, special interest groups, and even many elected officials, 
erroneously refer to our system of government as a democracy. In fact, our founders and framers understood a democracy to be a dangerous vehicle that, given time, would devolve into mob rule or government by majority, a government where the minority had little or no voice, a government unrestrained in its reach into our lives. It is for this specific reason that the founders and framers established our nation as a constitutional republic, a nation based on the rule of law and not the rule of men. Those who possess nefarious and or ideological agendas for our nation often refer to our system of government as a democracy, knowing full well that democracy is a transitional state between a republican form of government and an oligarchic form of government, a vehicle for transition to first majority rule, which, in light of the corruptible and narcissistic frailty of human virtue, eventually leads to the establishment of an oligarchy, or ruling by an elitist class and the trampling of the rights of those in the minority. The implementation of this transition is facilitated by a distracted and uninformed citizenry and a people who exist constitutionally illiterate. Here's an excellent short that explains how the manipulative Wilsonian Marxist left has bastardized the true spectrum of political ideology to fit their false narrative about the American form of government and our political system. When Benjamin Franklin exited the Constitutional Convention, he was asked by a woman, Sir, what have you given us? His immediate response was, A republic, ma'am, if you can keep it. Yet most Americans today have been persuaded that our nation's governmental system is a democracy and not a republic. The difference between these two is essential in understanding Americanism and the American system. Before we discuss political systems, however, it's helpful to address the confusion that has been spread about the political spectrum. Many have been led to believe that the political spectrum places groups such as communists on the far left, fascists or dictators on the far right, and political moderates or centrists in the middle. However, a more accurate political spectrum will show government having zero power on the far right to having 100% power on the far left. At the extreme right, there is no government. The extreme left features total government under such labels as communism, socialism, Nazism, fascism, princes, potentates, dictators, kings, any form of total government. Those who claim that Nazis and fascists are right-wing never define their terms. This amounts to spreading confusion. Toward the middle of the political spectrum can be found the type of government limited to its proper role of protecting the rights of the people. That's where the Constitution of the United States is. Those who advocate such a form of government are really constitutional moderates. So let's analyze the basic forms of government. They are monarchy or dictatorship ruled by one, oligarchy ruled by a few, democracy ruled by a majority, republic ruled by law, and anarchy which is ruled by no one. In discussing these five, we'll see that they can be narrowed down to even fewer. Looking first at monarchy or dictatorship, this form of government doesn't really exist in the practical sense. It's always a group that puts one of its members up front. A king has his council of nobles or earls, and every dictator has his bureaucrats or commissars, the men behind the scenes. 
This isn't ruled by one, even though one person may be the visible leader. It's ruled by a group. So let's eliminate monarchy, dictatorship, because it never truly exists. Oligarchy, which is ruled by a group, is the most common form of government in all history. And it is the most common form of government today. Most of the nations of the world are ruled by a powerful few, and therefore oligarchy remains. At the other end, we find anarchy, which means without government. Some people have looked over history and found that many of its worst crimes were committed by governments. So they decided that having no government might be a good idea. But this is a mistake, because as the ancient Greeks stated, without law, there can be no freedom. Our founding fathers agreed and held that some amount of government is a necessary force in any civilized orderly society. In a state of anarchy, however, everyone has to guard life, liberty, and property, and the lives of family members. Everyone must be armed, and movement is severely restricted because one's property has to be protected at all times. Civilized people have always hired someone to do the guarding, a sheriff, a police force, or some branch of government. Once law enforcement was in place, the people were freer. They could leave their property, work in the fields, and so on. In short, the proper amount of government makes everyone freer. There are some who advocate anarchy, however, not because they want no government, but because they don't like what they have. They use anarchy as a tool for revolutionary change. The condition of anarchy is very much like a vacuum where something rushes in to fill it. These calculating anarchists work to break down the existing government with rioting, killing, looting, and terrorism. Tragically, the people living in such chaos often go to those best able to put an end to it and beg them to take over and restore order. And who is best able to put an end to the chaos? The very people who started it. The anarchists who created the problem then create a government run by them, an oligarchy, where they have total power. This is exactly what happened in Russia that led to Lenin taking total power and in Germany where Hitler's brown shirts created the chaos that brought him to power. But anarchy isn't a stable form of government. It's a quick transition from something that exists to something desired by the power hungry. It's a temporary condition. And because it isn't permanent, we eliminate it as well. The word democracy comes from two Greek words, demos meaning people and kratian meaning to rule. Democracy therefore means the rule of the people, majority rule. This of course sounds good, but suppose the majority decides to take away one's home or business or children. Obviously there has to be a limit. The flaw in democracy is that the majority isn't restrained. If more than half the people can be persuaded to want something in a democracy, they rule. What about republic? Well, that comes from the Latin, res meaning thing and publica meaning public. It means the public thing, the law. A true republic is one where the government is limited by law, leaving the people alone. America's founders had a clean slate to write on. They could have set up an oligarchy. In fact, there were some who wanted George Washington to be their king. But the Founding Fathers knew history, and they chose to give us the rule of law in a republic, not the rule of a majority in a democracy. Why? Let's demonstrate the difference in the setting of the Old West. Consider a lynch mob in a democracy. Thirty-five horseback riders chase one lone gunman. They catch him, 
and they vote 35 to 1 to hang him. Democracy has triumphed, and there's one less gunman to contend with. Now consider the same scenario in a republic. The 35 horseback riders catch the gunman and vote 35 to 1 to hang him. But the sheriff arrives, and he says, You can't kill him. He's got his right to a fair trial. So they take the gunman back to town. A jury of his peers is selected, and they hear the evidence and the defense, and they decide if he shall hang. Does the jury even decide by majority rule? No, it has to be unanimous, or he goes free. The rights of the government aren't subject to majority rule, but to the law. This is the essence of a republic. Many Americans would be surprised to learn that the word democracy does not appear in the Declaration of Independence or the U.S. Constitution, nor does it appear in any of the constitutions of the 50 states. The founders did everything they could to keep us from having a democracy. James Madison, rightly known as the father of the Constitution, wrote in Essay Number 10 of the Federalist Papers, Democracies have ever been spectacles of turbulence and contention, have ever been found incompatible with personal security or the rights of property, and have in general been as short in their lives as they have been violent in their deaths. Alexander Hamilton agreed, and he stated, We are a republican government. Real liberty is never found in despotism or in the extremes of democracy. Samuel Adams, a signer of the Declaration of Independence, stated, Democracy never lasts long, it soon wastes, exhausts, and murders itself. The founders had good reason to look upon democracy with contempt, because they knew that the democracies in the early Greek city-states produced some of the wildest excesses of government imaginable. In every case, they ended up with mob rule, then anarchy, and finally tyranny under an oligarchy. During that period in Greece, there was a man named Solon, who urged creation of a fixed body of law not subject to majority whims. But where the Greeks never adopted Solon's wise counsel, the Romans did. Based on what they knew of Solon's laws, they created the Twelve Tables of the Roman Law and, in effect, built a republic that limited government power and left the people alone. Since government was limited, the people were free to produce, with the understanding that they could keep the fruits of their labor. In time, Rome became wealthy and the envy of the world. In the midst of plenty, however, the Roman people forgot what freedom entailed. They forgot that the essence of freedom is the proper limitation of government. When government power grows, people freedom recedes. Once the Romans dropped their guard, power-seeking politicians began to exceed the powers granted them in the Roman Constitution. Some learned that they could elect politicians who would use government power to take property from some and give it to others. Agriculture subsidies were introduced, followed by housing and welfare programs. Inevitably, taxes rose and controls over the private sector were imposed. Soon, a number of Rome's producers could no longer make ends meet, and they went on the dole. Productivity declined, shortages developed, and mobs began roaming the streets, demanding bread and circuses from the government. Many were induced to trade freedom for security. Eventually, the whole system came crashing down. They went from a republic to a democracy and ended up with an oligarchy under a progression of the Caesars. Thus, democracy itself is not a stable form of government. Instead, it is the gradual transition from limited government to the unlimited rule of an oligarchy.
Knowing this, we as Americans are ultimately left with only two choices. We can keep our republic, as Franklin put it, or we will inevitably end up with an oligarchy, a tyranny of the elite. James Madison, who along with George Mason crafted the U.S. Constitution, is quoted as saying, Pure democracy is the most vile form of government. Such democracies have ever been spectacles of turbulence and contention, have ever been found incompatible with personal security or the rights of property, and have in general been as short in their lives as they have been violent in their deaths. So Biden's insistence that he and he alone can protect democracy when one understands that democracy is equal to mob rule is probably a true statement. His administration, along with Obama 1.0, pisses all over the charters of freedom for their own selfish power trip. But it is the most egregious, most deceitful element to his speech at Valley Forge. That is, the United States is a democracy. It is time that we, those who know better, start correcting anyone and everyone who makes the statement that the United States is a democracy. It is not. It is a constitutional republic. We'll be right back with Monday's segment on America's Third Watch right after this. Handcrafted exotic blend teas at the lowest shipping cost anywhere. Hi, I'm CJ, owner of the Emerald Coast Tea Company. We ship our premium gourmet blends with Sindel, offering you the lowest shipping prices anywhere, while also being carbon neutral. Excellent tea at the right price. Check us out at www.emeraldcoastteacompany.com. Honey, this ain't your mom's tea. News, insight, passion. AM 930, The Answer. It's the time of the morning on Monday when we talk with Frank Silvato, our good friend and contributor here to the program. He is from undergroundusa.com, also the author of the book Nullification. Good morning, Frank. Mr. Kyle. All right. Well, we're off and running here on this wonderful Monday, Monday, Monday morning. And, uh, well, you know, there's so many different things I wanted to ask you about. Uh, But let's start off, though, here in this segment. Uh, what's your take on the where's what happened to Waldo and when Lloyd Austin sort of disappeared? You know, we hope he's okay, obviously, but this was pretty much a huge, a, a major breach of protocol. If the Pentagon and and the Department of Defense wouldn't have had all of the controversy up to this incident, it wouldn't be that big of a deal. It would look like a piece of oversight, but the leadership over there is very casual about things. We, we saw that in a demonstration of the, of the extraction of our troops from Afghanistan, very poorly planned, very hastily executed, 
Uh, the aftermath was chaotic. We left, what, $50 million, $50 billion worth of stuff over there. Um, when your second in command doesn't know where you are, that's a problem. So well, I don't know whether it's resignable, but it should have been something because it was an elective surgery, by the way. This should have been planned out and everybody should have been informed, at least at the hierarchy over at the Pentagon. Well, that's right. And suddenly, you know, you've got the deputy defense secretary on vacation. They had to go get her, evidently, and take her to a secure location, I guess. Once they figured out that Lloyd Austin had gone back to the hospital, he's still there, by the way, although they're saying that he's he's still doing his, his duties and so forth. But I find that kind of hard to believe if he's been in ICU. I mean, this sounds pretty serious. Uh, and uh, I don't know how you do your job as defense secretary without you know, passing the torch over temporarily, you know? Yeah. Well, the president has to do it when he goes in for surgery or, or has to go under. So there's no reason why the, the heads or cabinet level people shouldn't have to do the same thing. That said with the undersecretary, you've got four years in an administration. You've got soldiers in the field. We, we do have military personnel over in, in, in Ukraine. That are, that are acting as advisors. Why do you take a vacation? If you're, if you're in leadership, you can't wait four years to take a vacation. I know people who work just blue-collar and white-collar jobs who haven't taken a vacation in 10 years. But you get to a station in life where you're running the, the most powerful military machine in the world, and you've got people with boots on the ground, and you take a vacation? I don't think so. If this was an elective surgery that didn't didn't uh, address an, uh, an issue that could have gotten out of hand immediately, I don't know why this elective surgery couldn't have waited either. Well, and, you know, of course, Biden sort of sets the tone. He spends more time on vacation than I think anybody ever in the history of the White House. I, I think I, I saw an article that put it at 38 percent of his time is on vacation. Wow. I mean, that's really something. I mean, and you're right. Well, all this is going on. The world is literally on fire and, and getting worse at every every moment. Well, in, you know, we're going to go to a break here in about a minute or so. So we'll uh, sort of set this up here. And, um, you know, obviously we have the January 6th anniversary and you've got, you know, two different, you know, a tale of two cities almost in terms of the way the Biden administration and the left and the media want to portray it versus uh, on on the right and so forth. So what what's your what's your your take on this? I mean, obviously they're trying to use it as a this was a dark day and we almost lost our country. Blah blah blah. We had the anniversary of of troubled Americans exercising their First Amendment right to redress government. Were there some people who should have been arrested because they destroyed property? You bet. But it also ushered in an era of political persecution here in the United States, but you still have people pending court dates who are in solitary confinement, who aren't allowed to see their lawyers. No, this isn't, this isn't an anniversary of an insurrection. Uh, this is forever for me is going to be the anniversary of Ashley Babbitt's murder. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's very real serious, very, very serious stuff on this. Absolutely. And Frank Silvato, hold up, hold on there real quick, because we're going to head to the Break here real quick, and we're going to be right back. More with Frank Silvato, UndergroundUSA.com, author of the book Nullification. And, I'm, and we'll talk a little bit more about this, as well as where the left is going with the Supreme Court 
interpretation that may be coming down here about whether or not Trump can be on the ballot. So stay right there. Folks, we're coming right back. Kyle Warren with you. You're listening to Underground USA. State Farm says they're a good neighbor. But would a good neighbor target five-year-olds for conversations about sexual identity? State Farm did. For six months, they asked employees to donate guides to being transgender to public schools. Books aimed at making kindergartners question their identity. How do parents know where State Farm put these books? What's State Farm doing about it? Visit AskStateFarmWide.com. Bank of America wants to control how you live your life. They're building a system to track your carbon emissions and monitor your driving, coming after your Second Amendment rights, favoring certain home buyers based on their race. Bank of America is using a social score system straight out of China's playbook. Bank of America is obsessed with trying to control your life. What will they do next? Bank of America, their lies start with their name. News, insight, passion. AM 930, The Answer. Well, sort of, you know, continuing on in the January 6th issue, you know, part and parcel of where Biden and company and the Biden campaign and the left and the media are all going is this notion that Biden is the sole person who's trying to preserve our democracy, uh, evidently, and uh, and of course the opposite would be everybody else is trying to destroy it if you don't if you don't uh, vote for Biden, or I guess if you criticize Biden, then you're probably one of those who just wants democracy to uh, to you know be torn asunder. I guess. Well, one of the first things that the GOP and and the Trump people can do as a service to our country and retort to Mr. Biden is to remind him that we are a constitutional republic. We are not a democracy, and the left is never-endingly relentless on saying that we're a democracy, we're a democracy, we're a democracy. That's the first step to moving it toward um, what Hillary Clinton would like to have in place, which is a national vote total. We're not a democracy. We are a constitutional republic, 50 states, 50 separate constitutions. Each state certifies their electors to the Electoral College. Why? So we can make sure that the people in the non-populated areas have just as potent a voice as the people in the populated areas. Otherwise, we would be run by L.A., San Francisco, Chicago, New York, Miami, and Houston. That's right. So, so and, and people would be disenfranchised. Like absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. You take a look at the maps from each of the presidential elections going all the way back to 2000 and even beyond that, and you break it down to the county levels and those big blue dots that are around the urban areas, they would be dictating who the president of the United States is. That's why we have the Electoral College, and that's why the people who are trying to eliminate it are people who are anti-freedom. They, they want to centralize government and they want to make the states something that are quaint memories from the past. The states are where the power is supposed to be. The federal government is supposed to fill in the gaps. So going back to Biden's speech, if he wants to protect democracy, well, A, he shouldn't be trying to get people kicked off the ballot. 
whether it, whether it's Donald Trump or any of the people who want to challenge him within his party in the primary or RFK. He should be saying, if we have a true democratic process for electing our, our president of the United States, then everybody who has satisfied the constitutional qualifications and, and the qualifications for getting on the ballot should be allowed to be on that ballot. I have never seen a, a political party try so hard to refuse choice to people in an election. And they run around talking about voter rights and voter interference. Do you remember how hard they were screaming in Atlanta when, when the president of the galaxy or whatever she was on Star Trek didn't win about, about how voters didn't have, they were disenfranchised. Voters were disenfranchised. These attempts to remove people from ballots, whether it's Trump or anybody else, and make no mistake, they're going after other people. They're not just not just going after Donald Trump to get him kicked off ballots. They don't want RFK in the mix. They don't want the two challengers on the Democrat primary uh, slate to, to be on the ballots either. When you are trying to remove people from ballots, when you are trying to reduce choice at the ballot box, you are disenfranchising voters. So well, sure. Well, sure. He, he, and, he talked about know, he, he talks yeah. about defending the democracy. He is attacking it. Well, of course, and then putting it all over to Republicans or conservatives or whatever, you know, as and just really that's a classic case of projection, you know, as they as they say. And, you know, you mentioned Hillary Clinton. Well, you know, she she wanted she used the phrase which is supposed to sound really good. You know, well, we're moving towards one person, one vote as if to say, you know, people's votes don't really count or they, you know, they're weighted differently and so forth. But roaring by what you just so eloquently said about how the Electoral College actually makes sure that those who don't have as large a voice in terms of population in the, in the union, that their voice is heard and they can't just be trodden on. For someone who actually went to college, Hillary Clinton is either incredibly evil and disingenuous which a lot of people would probably invest in that thought, or she's the most stupid person who ever graduated college for trying to say one person, one vote. We don't have that kind of system here. And, and it, it guards minority rights. Again, here's a, here's a, a political party that screams that they stand up for the minority. They scream, we have to protect the minority. We have to have affirmative action. We have to make sure that it's weighted towards the little guy. We're against the elitists and everything else. But they, when they make an action, when they do something, it's proving them to be the elitist and the globalist. And they don't care about the little guy. If they did, they would care about the voices of the people in non-populated areas, which they call the flyover country or the red states. They would care about that voice being heard, but they don't. They only want more voices being heard in the urban areas, and everybody else can go sit down. Well, well that's if, exactly right. Yeah. If, the, if that's the case, take a look at these, these blue areas. They're blue for a reason. They're weighted towards the Democrats because the administrations in each of these cities happen to be Democrat, have been so for quite a while, and they just give away taxpayer dollars to bribe people for votes. So how how is that taking care of the little guy? That's right. Well, what what do you think about James Clyburn just recently being quoted as you know saying that uh, Biden's got a huge problem with the with the black vote 
and and also he 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 blamed what he called a MAGA wall that's keeping the accomplishments, I guess, of the Biden administration from really being heard by the African American community. Evidently, anytime you hear a Democrat say MAGA, he's propagandizing because well, that's sure. the that's the buzzword. If they if it's in the sentence, that means you can't believe anything that's that's in that sentence accompanying MAGA. You just can't. Now, as far as the is the black vote, I think Biden's in trouble. I'm not a big poll guy. I think they tend to uh, demonstrate what the pollster wants it to say. I believe they're they're kind of jaded and biased. But what has Biden done for not only the black community, but the citizenship Latino community? Businesses, home ownership, they're all down. Everything's down. The cost of everything is up. They've, you'll notice they've stopped talking about Bidenomics because nobody was buying it. Yeah, that's right. When you call DoorDash and you just want to get three burgers and three fries and three shakes, and with all the fees and taxes attached, it costs you 70 bucks. Tell me how Bidenomics is working. Yeah. I, I've actually, even just in my area, I've seen a market decrease if you want to go out to lunch or go to dinner, it's it's just not as crowded as it has been. And it's not just that people are getting, you know, like you said, having it delivered, I think, but it's that it costs so much money. When it approaches $50 for uh, a casual lunch for two people, I mean, that's, that's, that's a big chunk of change. You can't do that every day. You go to McDonald's, you get a quarter pounder with cheese, fries, and a drink, and you get two of them, and you are well into the 30s, Yeah, especially in the urban areas. Now, getting back to Biden's speech about democracy, if democracy is supposed to be true and we live in that, do you think people would vote for these prices? Or would they say, government, get out of the way with your regulations, Federal Reserve, stop jacking with the worth of the dollar, leave us alone so that we can have a free market that allows us to actually thrive and accrue wealth rather than going to our graves destitute. That's right. Well, in the in the new utopia, right, you'll rent everything, lease everything, subscribe to everything and own nothing, basically. There's an English show called The Black Mirror. And a lot of those episodes have to do with exactly what the future looks like under the World Economic Forum's new utopia, and it always ends in disaster. I don't. I see this real life imitating art here. Nobody yeah. wants to be told what to do in a free country that thrives on individualism. Yet it seems we're going down that path. Our old friend Adam Schiff is back to his old <laughs> tricks again. Remember how Adam Schiff told us all. That uh, everything about uh, the uh, Trump being a foreign agent or agent of Russia, Russian agent, uh, Russian operative, it was all out in the in the uh, in the public domain. Just look around, you'll see it. The Russia, Russia, Russia stuff, and it's all there. Uh, and of course, it wasn't. It was a hoax. Uh, but he's back to his old tricks again now, telling us about the Supreme Court and how the Supreme Court, you know, if it if it swears fealty to the Constitution like they say they do, quote-unquote, right, then they should come back with a decision banning Donald Trump from uh, from the ballot. But, of course, you, this, this court, I guess you just can't trust them. This is the direction they're going to go because they know the Supreme Court, I think, most likely will kick uh, the Colorado decision back. What do you think about that? Uh, uh, you know, I think they're kind of setting this up to be this court is illegitimate. This court is just paying back Donald Trump. This is only because they owe him 
and they're going to keep him on the ballot. And, you know, just a setup for the anger that will come from them. First, Adam Schiff, when he gets wide-eyed, reminds me of a Macy's Day parade balloon. You know, I, I just, the guy just, he's a caricature of a human being. Uh, and so is his intellect. It's a caricature. There's nothing there. The guy has never met a falsehood, a false narrative, or a lie he hasn't embraced. He's an embarrassment to the state of California. Um, and and yeah, running for senator. Yeah, that's terrible. <laughs> and, and I guess he, I guess he's in a decent position to win it, which is, which should shock everybody. Um, yeah, they've they've set this up. You heard this before, early in Biden's in in Biden's uh, tenure, where they were starting to call the Supreme Court illegitimate. It didn't stick, but that was the first volley at it. Now, anybody who understands the Constitution understands that, first of all, the 14th, the 14th Amendment, Section 3, was meant for the Civil War. It was, it was meant for people who were in hierarchy and leadership positions in the South, in the Confederacy. They did not want them running for office and winning the presidency in order to upend what 600,000 people died for. So that's number one. Number two, there's been no adjudication of an insurrection. Bingo. By definition, what happened on January 6th was not an insurrection. That's not what an insurrection is. I know the left likes to redefine words, but this is a big one. And they and they can't they can't do it. It can't be accepted. We should be pushing back on this like you can't believe. Until there is a an adjudication by a jury in a federal court that says someone was guilty of insurrection. There can be no claim to insurrection on that day. And right there, that says that the 14th Amendment, Article 3, is not, doesn't apply. Not only that, read Section 3 of, of the 14th Amendment. Because nowhere in there does it say the word president. That's true. That's really true. But Adam Schiff, likes, you know, he just basically tossed this off with, well, you know, if you took an oath and you incited an insurrection, well, you're disqualified. And again, it's like their, you know, their their definition of insurrection doesn't seem to to hold up because now you could accuse anybody of making an insurrection if they simply disagreed with some government policy or spoke out against it. Absolutely, like I said in the first segment, the people who destroyed property. And, and the people who, who entered illegally, remember that whole entering the building illegally, first of all, is very questionable because it's our house. It's the people's house. We can go into it, but that's neither here nor there. After the doors were opened, the Capitol Police started opening doors to let people in. At that point, nobody was illegally entering the building. Right, because essentially they would have been, if not invited, but uh, certainly given some kind of permission you know, they, they, yeah, they weren't kept out. Their access was not hindered. So when you're talking about an insurrection, it is an armed and violent takeover of a government. That didn't happen. You really have to rape reality to say that that was, that was an insurrection. We saw people going down to Congress who were upset with the way that the electors were, were selected and certified in five states. It is their right under the First Amendment to the U.S. Constitution to redress government. That's what happened on January 6th. 
minus the few people who committed damage to property and who entered illegally, which is not the hundreds that they've been arresting, not the thousands they've been arresting, maybe a dozen. And of those dozen, there's a big question about how many were there to actually incite that act that were on the payroll that day. So you want to try to keep somebody off the ballot if they were an insurrectionist? Like what happened at the at the Capitol building when the Puerto Rican uh, terrorist group back, I believe, in the 70s actually exploded bombs and shot at people. Yeah. That's insurrection. Yet they got pardoned under Bill Clinton. OK, that's insurrection. You want to see insurrection at the state level? Seattle and Portland during BLM and Antifa riots. Should those governors have been allowed to run again? Yeah. Should they have been on the ballot? Well, again, but that's that's the, the whole thing with the BLM riots is looked at so differently by the left. And they wouldn't in their wildest dreams think that there needs to be some kind of charges or any any of these kinds of things. That was a free that was a free expression of of exasperation and protest. But you have yeah. people walking down mostly peaceful. And then all of the videos point that out. There's no way to argue that it was this giant, violent mass jumping through the Capitol dome, taking uh, elected officials hostage, hanging them, changing the government. That didn't happen. It didn't happen. So why is that not an expression of protest? It's their right. It's a First Amendment right. But that's right. The left well, sure. doesn't give a damn about the Constitution. <laughs> well, there was the one guy who got Nancy Pelosi's podium, and I know that if you get her podium, uh, then you're in charge now. Everybody has to take your orders, evidently. Uh, but uh, you know, it, it is it is a it, some of these things are almost laughable in in that regard. But this idea that the Supreme Court will be declared to be illegitimate, and you, as you said, you're right. That was the first volley before. But this whole thing of now you got to go camp out in front of their houses. And demonstrate because you don't like the way they voted because they're not because precisely they're not voting about a political agenda. They're actually following the law. And that's why those types of instances where they happened in front of uh, Amy Comey Barrett's house and, and a few of the other judges uh, before when the DOJ did not act on them with marshals arresting people and taking them away in mass. That, that was a dereliction of duty by the attorney general. He should be impeached for that. The, the, yeah. the, the Supreme Court is the final say about what is constitutional and what is not constitutional. You can bring another case to try to get before them to argue it and see if it can be reversed, but you don't protest a vote from a Supreme Court justice just because you don't like it or it doesn't fit into your ideology. That is the court that ends the argument. Well, that's right. But what's happening is that people are being told that no matter what – you know, if you just don't like it, well, then you can start, you know, tearing everything down, basically. And uh, the, and you're right. The final word should be the final word. Conservatives, when there's a uh, when there's a, a a decision that conservatives don't like or are, aren't happy with, they go, oh, well, you know, we better find a way to 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 do this again somehow. Just like you're saying. But on the left, it becomes no. We, we're going to set the, everything on fire. Well, that's the new normal. That's the new normal. If, if liberals don't get their way, if Democrats, progressives, neo-fascists, and, and these Wilson Marxians don't get their way, they act like two-year-olds, spoiled two-year-olds with lighters. 
that, yeah. because that, that's all this can be seen as. They didn't get their way. We're going to tear down some statues, light fire to a church. We're going we're gonna to break business windows. We're going to burn blocks down. We're going to say defund the police. And, and the weak-kneed elected officials go, okay, well, I guess we'll defund the police because we don't actually want to do our jobs and enforce the law. No, we shouldn't have. Protest is one thing. You want to take to the streets and march? That's fine. You start destroying things, setting things on fire, you should be charged with arson and, and destruction of public property. Absolutely. Well said. Frank Sovato, UndergroundUSA.com, author of the book Nullification. Great to talk to you this morning, and we'll talk again on Friday morning. Take care. Stay low, my friend. Thanks again. All right, Frank Sovato, everybody. Kyle Warren with you. We are coming right back. Final segment of the program, we'll talk with Patrick Hyland. If you like the podcast, subscribe, leave a comment, rate it if your platform lets you. Be sure to head on over to undergroundusa.com to sign up for our Substack, which comes straight to you, circumventing the censors and the fact checkers, because we both know that they're worthless, and that's been proven over time. And be sure to pick up your copy of Nullification, the case for decentralizing the federal government, available in Kindle and paperback over at Amazon.com. You're listening to Underground USA. My name is Frank Salvato, and we will be back right after this. This podcast is a production of the Compass Point Group.